Hey everybody, welcome to the show. A redux, if you will. So, for long-time followers of Ember Sword, you would know that a while back, we did a Meet the Team article on Lauren. And that was... That is now ancient history. So I figured, why not provide you with the most excellent way to get to know somebody? Audio form. So, we're doing it again, baby. Meet the team on Lauren. Say hi. Hey, everyone. It's an intro and a half. So, this is going to be uh, quite special because I've known you for a while. And I know that you are pretty much one of the most interesting people to walk the earth. So I'm <laughs> excited for everybody else to just get a glimpse of what I, I am know. I'm pretty sure there's like a beer commercial about that guy. <laughs> was it beer or pie? The taste like freedom thing. No, 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 no. You're right. It was beer. Uh, that was a the 2009 world's most meme. interesting man. That's right. Yes. Dos Equis, a vintage me. Correct. Correct. <laughs> God, I'm so old. Lauren is our executive producer. He, well, that translates to essentially Lauren being able to uh, step in at any time on any occasion and just provide invaluable input. At least that's what my perspective is on your job. But what do you think you do for Ember Sword? <laughs> all right, all right. Yes. Well, I, I mean, to some extent, I guess it is. It, it is true. Um, if you look at my role, obviously, aside from being one of the founders, uh, I take responsibility for the product in a lot of ways. And that uh, that is a pretty broad scope. That means I do show up uh, on all sides of uh, the process, uh, both when it comes to the creation of Ember Sword, its world, its lore, uh, its, its features, but also uh, even outward facing, obviously talking to people in the community, uh, talking to investors, talking to our stakeholders that are helping make this a reality. Very well said. That, that does cover all the bases of what you do. Let, so let's see where you came from. Like that segue, fantastic. What is your background? Yeah, so... I mean, I started in, in in the games industry at a really young age. I think I was uh, I was about 11 years old when I figured out I liked building video games even better than I liked playing them. And you have to imagine back in the day that was literally, you know, I would go to a event somewhere and pick up like this disc with modding tools for the original Command and Conquer. And that was kind of cool. I would just kind of rip into that thing, modify some things. And this was still very, very basic. So sometimes you were like changing opcodes for uh, for particular interactions in the game. And then if you did that wrong, it just wouldn't start up anymore. And if you did it right, maybe like an explosion became three times the size. And <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> in a way, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, So so that's how I kind of rolled into things. And then when I was, you know, around going on 12 years old, internet had kind of also rolled into the household and I was using way too much of that stuff. Phone <laughs> <laughs> uh, phone bills ensued. But that being said, I brought some people together and we took uh, one of these games from the Common and Conquer series and decided to do a total conversion to a realistic recreation of World War II. And so before you knew it, I had like recruited uh, some five, six people off of different forums and we were communicating in ICQ and we were just building this total conversion. And, and my parents thought, of course, I was upstairs doing homework um, <laughs> and I left them in, under that impression for quite a while, uh, which you know gave me this wonderful opportunity to develop the skill set that I have today. Um, then I found out there was two other teams that had exactly the same ID, thought that was not really super efficient. So I organized my first merger at age 12. And then there were, well, 20 or so of us. And so for, for, for the next two years or so, I spent most of my time recreating all the tanks and planes from World War II in 3D using, you know, the world's least convenient voxel editing tool. <laughs> Uh, I mean, literally, you were almost typing in 3D coordinates of a point and then what color it should become and boop, you know. You... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was all tech. 
and you know writing artificial intelligence in some insane script that you know they invented some kind of a state machine and so on and so forth so you know we did that with a with a with a big team for about two years and then it was about around 14 years old we just you know put that up on file planet you could download it you know put it on all of the mirror websites that were there and and just released it to the world and that went a lot better than initially expected uh, it got downloaded over three million times and that's kind of how i rolled into gaming and that was early 2000s i believe right yeah yeah that was like all before i left high school basically uh that's three million downloads in the early 2000s which is insane yeah, yeah, yeah. well i mean you you can do the math i'm i'm 36 now right uh i was about 14 then <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's yeah that's uh 1990 something um so, so way back when, and uh, and through that, I, you know, the name kind of got around. So we started getting fan mail from Westwood. We got early access to some of their new stuff in hopes that we do total conversions and mods for that too. Uh, eventually, uh, got asked to uh, join in on something really cool that was going on, which was Neocron. That was. Uh, actually being developed by uh, by CDV and Reactor, CDV being sort of the, the largest game publisher of Germany at the time. And, uh, and Neocron was the world's first massively multiplayer online first-person shooter, which was really epic. I mean, we're talking just past EverQuest, uh, where just building an MORPG was already this amazing thing and having it be in 3D. And then here we were taking it into a uh, fully uh, FPS, full 3D uh, MMORPG. And that was just, you know, an amazing experience sort of uh, being involved in the creation of that. Uh, later on, uh, you know, being one of the uh, lead game masters there. And, you know, this is this is really early days. There's there's so much to tell about that, right? But I believe you know, we did a separate were... podcast on this as well. So. Exactly. Or at least we've 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 reached into the topic a few times on I think other podcasts. Maybe not so much on Neocron, but you know, the reality was that crazy things happened there and they're a really good analogy for the things that we're trying to build today. It's just back then we did it really old school, right? So where today you have this beautiful cluster of all these servers that are neatly handing over players uh, and balancing the load of the different players throughout the world automatically. There, you know, every part of the world was kind of like an old Quake server running that area <laughs> of the world. And if you walked across the line, it was time to load and synchronize to the next server. And if that server was down, you would go into synchronization hell and <laughs> be trapped until someone put that server up again. <laughs> you know, things like that. Truly amazing, of course, uh, being part of that, that very early phase. And that, you know, pretty much, you know, I was I was involved in that when I was still going through high school. And then when I came out of I was coming out of high school, they offered me a full time job in Hamburg. I said, yes, this is it. I should go. My parents were like, whoa, you're not even 16. Stop that. You should get your degree. So in, in the end, parents won. Uh, and, you know, it didn't end up badly for me. And not much longer, like around age 20, I ended up uh, actually uh, co-founding a game studio in Silicon Valley. Uh, also, uh, with the intent of doing another MMORPG and, you know, together with two other founders. And that went meteorically fast uh, to the extent that we went from three people to 45 people in about uh, what was it, six months time and oh, then wow. a re reality show where John Romero, the designer of Doom, gave on-screen commentary on, you know, what was back then the website of one of the largest gaming magazines in the US, of course, now defunct who whoever reads a gaming magazine anymore. <laughs> There's a few survivors, right? But, but apologies to PC Gamer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
in, in, in any case, so, so really great adventure, but, you know, some things went too fast there, and in the end, that game did not end up seeing the light of day. Uh, but I took, you know, from that point on, I kind of took a lot of the lessons from the games industry, uh, spent quite some time, I would say, you know, a good decade plus, uh, bringing know-how and technology from gaming into the business realm and solving some really more serious problems. I say business that, you know, that's to be taken with a grain of salt, but like training rescue workers and and, and soldiers and, and saving lives and improving training for things like from first aid to crisis negotiation. I think, you know, playing Mass Effect, but for serious <laughs> people, um, you know, making yeah. the right conversational choices and then using that as a, as a simulator for how you might deal with uh, cross-cultural communication or hostage negotiation and things like that. So I've seen some some pretty top secret stuff there um, and ended up uh, essentially founding a number of really cool companies that uh, that do these kinds of things. And all the way along, obviously, I stayed in touch with all my friends from, from the games industry. In fact, brought many of them on board to work with me on all of these great projects. Uh, won a whole bunch of you know business awards, uh, including uh, the Accenture Innovation Award, McKinsey New Venture, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, just overall had a really great time uh, doing that, but still, you know, always kind of plodding along with game concepts and occasionally advising some of my friends in, in the games and movie industry. Um, sometimes, you know, running a little race to see who could do the visual effects for some movie they were working on faster, uh, whether that was, you know, their offline renderer or me coding up some algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, you know that that was kind of uh, that sort of period, and then at some point uh, along the road, uh, which kind of you know gets me into how I ended up uh, working on Ember Sword. Some of my old buddies, including some people that I'd worked with, you know, very recently, uh, were tossing around this idea of let's set up a company to build a new MMORPG. Um, and obviously there being so many people uh, that I was already friends with and working with involved people like, you know, Mark, who I've shared the stage with people like Sage, who worked as, you know, my art director for, I think, seven years or so. Right. So, so the, you know, it was just like the band getting back together and we had this epic concept of, you know, let's take an MORPG and finally get rid of all of these barriers to accessibility and also give the players true ownership of things. So, you know, not all of that value gets locked up in the game. And of course we wanted to through, do that through NFTs and, you know, long story short, uh, that's how we ended up where we are today, all working together on this amazing endeavor. I, I do actually want to get more into your vision for Ember Sword because we've had multiple conversations on the topic and it's very uplifting, at least to me, but I'm, simply dying to ask uh you you've seen a lot of things in your life especially as it pertains to business would you care to share any wild business stories with the listeners right sure yeah i'll i'll go for something that's you know out of the ordinary and kind of you know outside of the 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 gaming realm uh but uh when when like in 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 the in the early days after i just you know finished my early stint in the games industry which was you know still quite long given that i started <laughs> you know around 12 14 or so doing game development uh i i was you know getting into serious applications of this this awesome gaming tech and i remember probably one of the the crazier things that happened to me is there was a guy from a consultancy company that he kind of realized oh this lauren guy has a super interesting story so i have to go pass uh, visit my accounts visit you know the people that i'm in touch with in these different client companies we have like maybe once every half a year or so and i have to be able to tell them something interesting and new in hopes of scoring some new business but 
what our company does isn't exactly exciting, right? We do like data processing. We do the, you know, for the friends fan, we do Chandler's job, right? Um, which nobody knows what it is, but <laughs> in, in any case, uh, so, so he was like, why don't you come along and I'll like in, introduce you to some of these uh, people and you can kind of talk to them about their business and tell them how game technology could make a difference for, uh, for them. And so, uh, he took me to, I, I, I'll, I'll skip on the names, but he took me to this huge global shipbuilder where he had, you know, contacts with someone who was like a director over like a hundred person division or so. And we just sat down there and talked for about two hours about how they currently do things. And, you know, throughout that story, I was telling them like, oh, well, what you do here, do you know that you could do that like on a graphics card and it's like 20 times faster at doing this so you could do these and these and these things in real time. And like, how much time is that taking you right now? And they're like, oh, well, actually right now that's taking us like 30 days <laughs> and a lot of human labor. And they're like, okay, so, I, you know, it's worse than, you know, could, you could probably do that in 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I literally just had this meeting and didn't think much of it. You have to imagine I was, what, you know, a 22-year-old at that point or so. And, and I was, uh, you know, I went out of that meeting uh, about, I think a couple of days later, I was heading out of the house and I was heading for the bus stop. And I was a little bit late, uh, hadn't uh, quite managed to get the time to tie my shoelaces. I walked to the bus stop and I sat down there and, you know, was just about to start tying my shoelaces and I got a phone call. And so, you know, obviously I, I pick up pick up this phone call and it's like, uh, hi, this is so-and-so, like I am the uh, the executive assistant to the CEO of this massive shipbuilder. Um, <laughs> and I have him on the line for you right now. Do you have a moment to speak with him because he wants to talk to you? So I was like, uh, yeah, can he hold for just a moment? Cause I got to tie my shoelaces or I'm going to miss my bus. <laughs> So I put my phone down. Power move. <laughs> I, I, I tie my shoelaces, right? I pick the phone back up. And, you know, this, I think this executive assistant was still baffled. And she was like, <laughs> right, right. Yes. So are you, are you okay now? Yes. I've got him for you now. And, and literally to this day, uh, when I come by that company, they're like, yeah, that's the guy who like told the CEO to hang on because he had to tie his shoelaces. <laughs> and of course, eventually a huge project came out of that. So uh, yeah, power move uh, just <laughs> dictated by circumstance. Uh, you know, anyone needs to tie their shoelaces. Just do it. CEOs can wait. <laughs> I feel like a lot of your life is essentially the beginning of the second act of an inspirational biopic. Like this, this keeps happening to you on a consistent basis. Cause I've heard a couple more stories of this ilk and they're all just jaw dropping how casually you, you just fall into these situations. Yeah. Well, it's I think, amazing. I think it's, it's, it's key, um, you know, uh, in, in these types of things to realize that everyone else is human and not to take yourself too seriously as well. And the reality is, you know, any, anyone, whether they are the janitor or the CEO or just people you can have a good laugh with. And turns out you could, you know, he, he had a really good laugh about the whole tying my shoes thing, right? <laughs> tying my shoelaces. Yeah. Yeah. So coming back around to Ember Sword, you, you mentioned how you came to work on the game through, you know, getting the band back together. Um, I want to talk about your vision for the game. Where do you see Ember Sword going? Right. So I think we started with a pretty strong vision from the get-go uh, when it comes to core points that we wanted to accomplish. Um, in the sense that uh, we, we knew we wanted to do something about accessibility and, and zero friction, right? We wanted to make sure that people could get instantaneously into the game, just, you know, click a link, jump in there. We wanted to do the opposite of what you'd expect from an MMO. So typically, you know, MMO, you expect it's going to take a long time to install. It's going to take a long time to patch. It's going to, you know, you're going to do a whole registration process before you even get in there. And then you still need to find your friends somewhere in this game world. 
we wanted to reverse that process and make it you click you join your friends you're in the game world right you're there uh that that was a big thing. And then of course there was the notion of true ownership, true item, or at least cosmetic history. Uh, that was a really big part for us where we knew also from our backgrounds, what ridiculous amounts of money were being paid even under the table against the user terms of service for items in these games, right? Mark himself brokered a deal that was like almost a hundred thousand dollars for a single sword in world of warcraft and and of course i've i've seen the same and i've seen even people getting banhammered uh instantly uh for for doing these kinds of things despite of the fact that uh, or rather in spite of the fact that they did generate that value they did earn that in the game uh and and you know they should get to enjoy that so so that core was there from the beginning and then, of course, there was also the notion that when you think MORPG, you often think it's a bit more of a passive experience compared to like an action RPG or a MOBA. And we wanted to go more, uh, more towards that dynamic experience, right? So when you're playing it, you're sometimes kind of wondering, am I playing an MMO here? <laughs> and I, that might also be some of my, you know, Neogron background coming back into it, having having just a bit more of that Twitch mechanic, a, a bit more skill-based, uh, those kinds of elements. I think what was really interesting is, though, that when we uh, came up with this vision for the game, that, that point in time, I think, is much more important also to to kind of recognize what we came up with because when we came up with it originally there was actually a lot of people that were like this is never gonna work uh first of all you're like an morpg right so that's a niche <laughs> and then you're doing this nft thing you have to imagine this whole notion of nfts was pretty new back then and you know the trading volume was marginal nft art was barely a discovered thing and, you know, a lot of people were very critical. A lot of investors were not our thing, uh, not really interested. We don't think this has the potential for becoming a huge success. And, and look at where we are now. Uh, three years down the road, some of the games that started in terms of their concept and starting development close to the times that we did, games like Axie and The Sandbox are doing amazing stuff, are seeing player counts growing extremely rapidly, are seeing massive adoption, are seeing these incredible trading volumes and seeing you know, their currencies even valued at billions of dollars <laughs> uh, as, as, a, as a fully diluted uh, uh, currency market. That's, those are amazing things. Those are things that um, even till probably half a year, a year ago, many people in the traditional gaming space that had not experienced any of this didn't, you know, were completely unwilling to accept. And now let alone, and, and this I think is where we get kind of to the key point, uh, these are games that were particularly aimed at uh, being sort of crypto as, as the first step. And now if you expand that to a gaming team that's coming you know, from the industry with a vision from the get-go to do a game that's absolutely game first and mega accessible. So bypassing this whole requirement of even having a wallet, if you don't have it yet, we'll do it for you custodially, et cetera, et cetera. These kinds of things, right? It just means that we're going to provide access to this game to such a wider audience. We're gonna be legitimately a fully free to play game. And in fact, you see some of these other games headed there too now, right? To just open up to these massive audiences, give everyone a chance to play an amazing game that's fun, that's, you know, uh, in, in the case of Ember Sword, that's got all the great elements of a skill-based MRPG to them where you can kind of just do what you feel like and, and grow in that skill set. And then, you know, bringing that to millions upon millions of players that will actually own the things they find and discover and, and, and create to some extent in the game. I think that's 
that's that's going to be amazing, right? So there there's a lot of vision to talk about, but I'd say I'd say that's probably a big part of it. Um, just kind of reflecting over what happened over the past few years. And if if you're talking to me more like as just a hardcore gamer type, right? What what excites me there is is obviously aside from the accessibility that it has and bringing your friends on in a click and all that kind of stuff. It's just you know dynamic gameplay, cool action. Uh, also, even the notion of land ownership, I think, is a is, is a is a really cool thing. Um, and yeah, I I mean, obviously, I come from having worked on on for example neocron which was entirely skill based right probably one of the very first entirely skill based mmorpgs or mo in terms of mofps it was the very first of course but you still have things like ultima online and such which was also uh skill based but i, I really like that type of mechanic of game i i just love that sense of immersion and freedom of coming into a world and being able to oh i want to go out and pick up a sword and be a warrior or i'm going to grab an axe and uh, start my life as a woodcutter and woodworker that that level of freedom uh, i think is 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 just a, a really great thing package that with like a world with a rich lore and a beautiful environment amazing art style things like that they just get me really excited about a game that is fantastic well said it's uh i told you inspiring <laughs> that that just tickles tickles the gamer brain in in a way that it's it's hard to describe for me it's just that's why I work on Ember Sword. That's why I stick around for for a vision of something that can potentially revolutionize gaming, which is a haughty thing to say, but after after your description, I think it's pretty much, you know, fair dues to say that. I think, you know, I think Svetlin, you have to set out with that intent if you're going to ever accomplish it, right? I mean, if you don't from the get-go say, "Okay, we're going to try something something big and daring and different <laughs> then you have the odds of being later remembered as that game that changed the genre changed the industry and of course uh, i mean it's it, not to get into this this kind of typical statement but uh, there's there's this you know this 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 horribly cliche saying uh, you know, shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you will at least end up among the stars, right? And and I think it's all about starting out from that shooting for the moon and and daring to continue to do so, right? It it's those people that do so and the teams that do so that eventually get there. So we're not gonna give up at the first sign of challenge. Uh, we're, we're gonna keep going. And even if we set ourselves some goals that seem almost impossible to achieve, we're gonna go on and get there. And I, you know, maybe to, to just you know, segue into something that relates to that a little bit is just on the technological side. What we set out to do, a lot of people initially, outside of just saying that, oh, MMORPGs are like a niche, right? And NFTs are a niche, and that's not, you know, market-wise, it's probably not going to succeed. There were also plenty of people that said, well, this is technologically way too challenging. You know, this massive world you're doing, what your intents are for it, uh, that's an insane amount of technology you have to build. There's not really anything off the shelf that handles this in the way you wanted to so we had to build all the net networking technology from the ground up and we ended up doing that and and successfully so and then even even past that we figured okay you know unity is building this really great piece of light lightweight front-end game engine tech that can run in a browser so at least we don't have to bother with that and then it turned out that didn't deliver and didn't deliver what we needed didn't deliver it quickly enough and we had to go straight in did we give up no of course not we went straight in and essentially replaced our entire engine and and rebuilt it from the ground up just to be able to create this experience and and in the end you know you're gonna run into a lot of these walls uh, but it's it's not about how many walls you butt your head into right it's about the fact that you uh you you 
find a way around it and, and get going. You get back up, you get going, and you tackle the next one and the next one. Because it's not the state of what we're building today that's in the end going to determine it, but it's, you know, how consistently we keep going forward and improving and, you know, sort of striving for that big vision we have. I think you just inspired somebody to run a marathon with this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that, was, that was quite beautiful. Uh, there is one more section of the podcast I wanted to cover, which uh, I always dub in these Meet the Team podcasts the quote-unquote fun stuff, although I believe, <laughs> considering how we've been going so far, this is going to be just nothing but fun stuff all the way through. <laughs> this is going to exhaust everybody with how inspirational and awesome it is. So the freeballing section is aimed at just uh, getting to know you more as a gamer. So here we go with the rapid fire stuff. Give me your top three favorite video games. Right. So this is this is always so tough. So I'm gonna have a whole bunch of honorable mentions and then still not be content with myself. But I'm gonna pull from some different genres. Uh, really love obviously RPGs. I think probably favorite uh of all time mass effect 2 uh when it comes to like you know story driven amazing adventures rich universe uh yeah i could go for a long way uh could, could go on for a long time on on on, on mass effect uh i think you know obviously uh part three didn't quite hit the spot <laughs> with its multi multi-colored endings <laughs> but you know up until it got rather close to that it, it it wasn't too bad but mass effect 2 was truly amazing experience to go through i think diablo 2 as like more of a uh hack and slash uh, rpg uh was an amazing game spent way too much time on that really great really gratifying mechanics and then I played tons of RTS games, so I have to throw in StarCraft, probably best RTS game ever made. Uh, and then, you know, I also obviously played the Common and Conquer series uh, you know, to no end. But StarCraft really, really sticks out as, a, as an RTS game, just in, in not even in terms of just my playing experience, but also the amount of time that I've spent watching the entire Korean scene. So if there's some StarCraft fans out there, you know, I've been watching this scene since the boxer <laughs> uh, days, right? All the way up until the, the dominance of, uh, of Flash uh, slash uh, Lee Young-ho. And it's just been amazing, you know, seeing a nation that essentially has a video game as its national sport and then second most popular is basketball <laughs> if you've ever missed out on that south korea starcraft look into it watch some of the old stuff it is amazing you will probably not too often see 120,000 people in open air watching an rts being played yeah uh plus if you know the level of skill that is required there i didn't even get into this right but uh, one of the other things that I did as, as, as a hobby, uh, specifically like late teens, early 20s, was playing RTS games competitively. And I'll probably get back to that at some point with a gaming story uh, when you ask me questions about that in a bit, uh, Svetlin. But having played RTS games competitively, having played particularly one RTS, uh, Dawn of War, into the global top 10 level, knowing the level of mechanics and control that is required to truly excel at an RTS game, it, they are the hardest games to, to compete in, as far as I'm concerned. And StarCraft takes the crown by far. I mean, for those people that are not into that space, just to give you an indication, uh, Actions per minute is a usual count that is kept for these games where if gamers are playing competitively against each other, you'll have a little APM meter that says how fast they're going. And a typical pro StarCraft player would have an APM. Those are effective orders given using either keyboard or mouse, averaging around 360 actions per minute or six actions per second 
for the duration of an entire match. And I believe the current peak sustained APM record, uh, which is for a period of 30 seconds, is in the hands of July Zerg, which was coming in somewhere around 800 APM. What? So you're that is it's just you know insane 12 13 actions per second oh, uh, during intense micromanagement now i didn't clock in at those levels because the rts i was playing wasn't starcraft but let me tell you that's like you know solid four hours of just mechanics practice every day to maintain peak apms of that that i was playing at i was probably playing for this game you needed an average of about 160 to uh, compete professionally but peak apms were getting close to about 400 and you'd just be practicing an insane amount to to get there <laughs> eventually building games took precedence of course but um you still dabble yeah yeah still dabble and and competitive games are absolutely amazing and a lot of people you know on the ambassador team including mark by the way uh obviously played competitively and so that's also one of the things that actually brings us together not that we immediately set out to make ambassador this massively you know competitive game purely but we do all have a certain taste for having that competitive element in there and available for the people that like it now I realized that was a segue from StarCraft, but I cannot go on without at least mentioning a few other games. So uh, I'd at least throw out that I really love the old LucasArts adventure games. I'm going to old, oldie but goldie, the Day of the Tentacle, uh, as well as Full Throttle. I also really liked uh, Monkey Island. If you're looking at FPS games, Half-Life, Counter-Strike, probably the, you know, the Modern Warfare uh, First, very first one, uh, those were like amazing hallmarks of where FPS games can go. And then, you know, I, I have to throw in at least Dota 2 as being both an amazing spectator game and a really great evolution sort of coming out of the RTS genre. And, you know, that's me missing out on hundreds of other games that I feel <laughs> brought something unique to the table. But there's, there's just too many great games. I think you you have enough cred now as to make that statement and people won't be disappointed. <laughs> so, um, what is your longest gaming session? Right, I, I, I'm not 100% sure which of the two clocks in, but I would either have to go with Diablo 2 being the game or really early uh, testing of World of Warcraft. Uh, that was back in those days, obviously me working on another MMORPG, it was relatively easy for me to get very early access <laughs> to World of Warcraft. And that was with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of my buddies who I know definitely for them that clocks in as their longest session, but I didn't quite stick it through that insanely. There were a few that played for 48 or 72 hours, pretty much straight just you know drinking and eating at their computer uh, i didn't quite last that long but i'm i'm sure i got rather close to a 24-hour session and i'm sure of the same for uh diablo 2 that was just at a at a younger age and i recall at some point my mom coming up to my room in the attic at three o'clock at night what the hell are you doing right and i just you know i turned on the screen Made made motions back towards the bed. She closed the door, walked down the stairs, and I got back into it. <laughs> Classic. Everybody's done this at least once. I'm I'm sure some some of my teachers the next day were like, uh, okay, uh, think someone's sleeping. <laughs> wake up, wake up. What you doing? <laughs> you're not sleeping. You're planning. So yeah, those those would be uh, probably the, the the two the two longest sessions uh, there. And uh, also immediate proof of even in early WoW testing that you can power level to 60 pretty quickly <laughs> if, if you have 72 hours to dedicate to it. <laughs> and you're also insistently looking for uh, exploits and ways to just get a little bit more XP. There were literally guys that I think maxed out their character in less than 50 hours. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Of course, you know, some bugs were, were fixed after that, <laughs> that they found. <laughs> some. Ah, and to round it all off, what is your fondest gaming memory? Right. Okay, so I, I have to 
probably reach back to my RTS gaming history. Um, like I mentioned, I, I played this game called Dawn of War um, competitively for quite a while. And that was the very first uh, Dawn of War game, right? Based on the 40K Warhammer universe. Really epic game, by the way. Um, you know, talking giant uh, hulking robots and squads of infantry where you would control a whole squad at a time instead of an individual soldier. You could equip them with particular gear, like, you know, bolters or laser guns or flamethrowers, sniper rifles, etc., and reinforce them in the field. Very interesting gameplay, um, very different. And it just really clicked for me that that particular game. And so I played that in a very funny manner in the sense that I played it competitively, but that was just on my own. I wasn't in any competitive clans and, and I played it for fun. Uh, for which reason I was like in an amateur clan, just, you know, having fun with the guys. And, and so I would play 1v1 with some, with some other clans and, and play the ladder like that, but never really attached to any of the, let's say, pro uh, clans in there. And then, of course, you know, coming in uh, with, this, uh, with this amateur clan had the funniest of times because the, the, the level of play there obviously varied wildly and not everyone was equally skilled. And this was a game with a very particular skill ceiling when it came to micromanaging your troops, building stuff, uh, and, and some of the races. Uh, there were particularly four races in there were also very conducive to this, right? So for example, you had Eldar, which were like the total glass cannon race. If they, you know, if they got shot at for more than five seconds straight by enemies, pretty much all your units would just die, particularly the infantry. But as long as, and this may sound funny, as long as the opponent was not really shooting at you or not capable to keep standing and shooting at you, and there were some really good ways to do that, uh, yeah, they would kill everything and all stay alive. <laughs> Uh, it was just really, really, really hard to accomplish that. So that was one of the races with, for example, the highest skill ceiling. So we would queue up for these these 4v4 matches. And, and there were a number of things that the guys really loved to do. So one of the things that they used to do, I'll, I'll tell two stories, actually. One of the things they used to do was just to mess with newbies that would sign up for our clan. And they would say, ah, you have to be beat Retro Booster, which was my al alias, because he's like the weakest player we've got. If you can beat him, you're in the clan. <laughs> and they would have just the most fun with this. <laughs> and just see, you know, the, 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 the real challenge was not whether or not they were going to beat me. The challenge was, would they stick in there? And, and would they not rage and <laughs> be, be too ill-mannered to be a part of the guild? So first game, of course, they would get instantly shredded. And then, you know, I've had other cases where they would come by and they were like, oh, how did you do this? You know, this, this build is just downright unfair. And then they would built and I was like, oh yeah, well, why don't you build what I built then, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they, they got completely shredded again. <laughs> and just, you know, most of them would sit through about three attempts and at least not, you know, get really aggressive and swear at people and such. And so we know they're kind of okay. <laughs> and then they'd let them in on the secret. <laughs> but the other thing, the other thing we would do sometimes when new players had not been through that um, through that experience um, was we would take them into a 4v4 match. And those were kind of like cut up into two 2v2 two two portions of the map. And typically it kind of devolved into two 2v2s two with, you know, wherever the 2v2 became a win for one of the two parties, obviously that kind of meant that the game was probably over because you could go and reinforce the others. And they would just tell this this new guy who obviously had not been through that hazing ritual, like, ah, oh, just, you know, do whatever Retro is doing, right? And we'd be on, <laughs> on what was it, TeamSpeak or Ventrilo back then or something like that, right? And, um, and sure enough, like, I would 
go with this incredibly weak glass cannon, raise the Eldar, and build my first few units, and immediately march off into the first enemy base. <laughs> and you would just hear these guys on like <laughs> on on Ventrilo going like, "No, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> you you can't just attack now." <laughs> and just you know, and I don't have my units yet. And they're like, "Just come, come, you know, <laughs> come." It's like they're going to slaughter us, and <laughs> and I would just walk into their base and like casually because if you didn't play this game essentially Eldar had like a crap ton of crowd control so they had grenades that knocked people on their asses and webbing that would ensnare them and a main champion hero that would just throw people off their feet and basically I would just walk into those bases micromanage it so well that there were just only troops flying through the air the whole time <laughs> getting shot at then their whole army would be dead of the first opponent and you know as that was going on you could just hear this guy going oh you can't do this uh, well, I I guess you can. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> and we're just like, well, you clean up this base. I'm just going to head on to the next one, right? <laughs> and he just, you know, walk through two bases, sla slaughter their entire army, and just have this other guy running after you to kill their buildings. And they're just wondering what the hell happened uh, afterwards. Those, I think, were like very fond memories just because of the social dynamics in it. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same with any kind of... MMOs, um, it's it's about the group dynamic oh, yeah. uh, that's going on that makes it so fun. I think I remember those moments because of you know their completely incredulous expressions as <laughs> as this was happening. First, first sometimes you know calling me a noob for running in with that kind of stuff and <laughs> and then swallowing their words. And and I think actually. Maybe now, now I'm now I'm going to cheat and like pipe in another gaming memory, and, and we'll see what we do in post. <laughs> but the the other memory that came up in my mind now that I'm thinking about the social dynamics was back in the way early testing of Neocron when there wasn't even uh, even like a full guild mechanic in the game yet, and they had. Uh, given they just rolled out some baseline guild functionality and one of the coolest things that I remember there is they had essentially given each guild a passcode to uh, like a super deluxe uh, penthouse type apartment that fit the whole guild in it uh, and the way apartments worked in Neocron is you had sort of the password which would take you to the door of the apartment and then you had uh, the actual door, which could only be opened by people who were flagged as an owner of that apartment. And so they flagged everyone in the guild <laughs> automatically as an owner, so they could open the door and, <laughs> and no one else could. So even if the code was known, because, you know, obviously people were like smurfing, <laughs> you actually need to open the door before anyone could get in. And I, I remember, you know, I, I must say I wasn't very, <laughs> a very nice player at that point, but we just came up with, oh, let's have some fun with this. And so, um, one of us joined, and that was me. One of us joined the other clan, and obviously, in doing so, uh, obtained the password, shared it. We got our whole <laughs> guild <laughs> stacked up <laughs> at the entrance of uh, of the other clan um, of of their uh, of of their penthouse. And I was I was in there like literally in a completely pink outfit, <laughs> sticking out like a sore thumb. And this whole clan was gathered, and they could see obviously on the local list of players that this whole other clan was now in the hallway, like coming in for a fight. Yeah, come on out, like fight us. <laughs> and and so you know the clan leader was literally on like this voice chat going like <laughs> don't worry everyone stay calm like it's the real Leroy Jenkins moment right <laughs> everyone stay calm they cannot open the door as long as nobody opens the door we're safe chill relax we're all good what are you doing <laughs> no 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> as I like walked out to the door, like pushed pushed the button, and everyone just flocked in, <laughs> and it just was this whole slugfest back and forth between these two guilds for several hours fighting over ownership hours. of this. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, uh, they had these um, gene replicators where you would respawn. <laughs> right in the apartment and many people had said that as, as their primary destination so they were respawning in there and getting basically spawn camped and killed again and then <laughs> others were rallying up outside to try and take back over the <laughs> the apartment <laughs> so it was, it was complete and utter mayhem <laughs> you had a multi-hour gang war about some dude's apartment <laughs> god damn neutron well, oh. <laughs> those are one note to end on. Those are all the questions I have. <laughs> so, uh, if anything, I, I've taken away. If I've taken anything away from this, is that you seem to be an anime protagonist and you don't even know it. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I mean, it's like, what does this button do? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> amazing. So yeah, that was that was the Meet the Team podcast on Lauren. Everybody, um, I do hope you have a better appreciation for him now that you know. A bit more about him uh i certainly do <laughs> every every time we talk it just raises my spirits and i continue to learn something new and be amazed so thank you for uh, taking the time to have this sit down to uh get this podcast uh out to the to the people uh appreciate you appreciate everybody listening and uh we will catch you guys next time goodbye my pleasure and catch you all next time hey you you made it to the end congratulations that must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news! We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PlayEmbersword for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword. I'm gonna go start recording. So I now see a red line moving conspicuously from left to right. Conspicuously. Um, yes, yes, and it's being trailed by this, you know, weird, uh, you know, bunch of uh, of blue, uh, you know, graphs that look like there is an earthquake actively going on in my local area. I think you're being swatted. That is probably it. <laughs> is it moving? Is it on your head now, duck? <laughs>